Wonder Mossman straightens up. Six in advance. Bobo so cute. Running on fairly well down the outside. Sunshine Tacker and then Lucky and Wealthy. Followed by Packlock Angel just in time. But he's going to run them right off their legs once again today. And Wonder Mossman, he must be ten in front. Sunshine Tacker. Bobo so cute. King Creole rockets home for the queue. But Wonder Mossman wins in a hand canter from King Creole. Sunshine Tacker third. Bobo so cute That four. was a race called the Directors Cup some time ago. Wonder Mossman, obviously a very talented horse in Macau. And the voice that you heard calling that race is a former champion country rider in New South Wales, Harry Troy. He dominated a lot of those country circuits during the 80s and the 90s and almost um, 1,500 winners under his belt from over 8,600 rides, Harry Troy. And he joins us from Macau. How are you, Harry? Good morning, Steve. I'm well, thank you. You've been a part of the furniture in Macau for over two decades. I have. I came for three months uh, in April 1997, and that's turned into uh, close to 27 years. How does a former top jockey in the country, of course, in New South Wales, end up being a race caller? Steve, I had a little bit of a I'd play around as, uh, when I was very young, when I was injured on a couple of occasions and uh, out in the far west. And uh, I think it was, well, the legend, the legendary Cole Hodges got me up, I think, one day at Ningen. Uh, and then again at Warren. And then Paddy Burke got me up at Geary for a bit of a guest call. So I got a little bit of a taste for it when I was young. And... When I did retire in Macau, I think I was about 48 when I retired, I started working doing the paddock parade and sort of understudy caller to Bruce Sherwin, the New Zealand race caller. So I actually started calling races full-time. I was pretty much nearly 50 years old. And how did you go at first? Were you a bit rusty or did you get, a, you know, cotton onto it pretty quickly? Oh, I was very, very nervous. Um, they people said they thought it was acceptable enough, but of course, you know, um, it's it's a a very late age to start. You, you young call the start when they're young and um, and build up from there. So uh, yeah, I was pretty um, pretty nervous about it all when I first started, but then settled into it, and um, it's been a, a great time, a very enjoyable time uh, here in the cows. Um, I've been a one man band. I used to do the uh, the race preview, the paddock parade, uh, then the call, the dividends and the review, and it was time to start again. So they've uh, been acting as a one-man band for probably about 20-odd you know, years. How many times do they race a week in Macau? Look, we're down to um, just once a week. But in When I first arrived, we would race Tuesdays and, say, Saturdays. And then the last three months of the season, when Hong Kong took their break, Hong Kong used to take three nights off at that time, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. So we would race Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, something like that. And, you know, eight to ten races were programmed. It was very, very big. When I arrived, we were close to 1,200 horses population. Barry Baldwin was the leading trainer there for a period of time. Look, he came in early 2000, I think 2001 or two. And uh, he was the first to reach 100 winners in Macau. Great trainer, uh, a great uh, a great bloke. I read where he's going to finally retire. But, yeah, he was the first to reach 100 winners in Macau. Uh, he took horses from the older horses 
the bottom grades right up to the, the higher class the two grades uh, it was uh, a bit of a wizard year Michael Carl, of course, was riding a lot of winners for him at that time. And Gary Moore, he's back in Macau, is he? Of course, he had so much success there. Did he win the Trainers' Championship eight times there, Gary Moore? He did. He won eight uh, Trainers' Championships. Unfortunately, made the decision to come back from Australia in uh, 2021, I think it was. So he's only been settled in a bit over a year or so. And, of course, uh, the news that we've received will officially received on Monday. I mean, it's been a long time coming. It wasn't unexpected, but uh, it, it was a big shock, I must say, just to, to actually get the death knell. What is the official date? And tell me why. Give us some details about why Macau Racing is closing. OK, the official date for racing. We'll continue racing up until the end of March. Um, and there's probably going to be one race day per week. I think we had a double header last weekend, Friday, Sunday. Uh, look, the official line that the government has given, and there's been many, many good write-ups, um, the official line that the government has given is, uh, and that's been well documented as well, is that the... the, um, the MJC the racing board, the, the people running the Macau Jockey Club, uh, they haven't fulfilled the obligation that they signed and agreed to do back in 2018. Now, they got a, a 24 or 5 year gambling concession once more. That was renewed back in 2018. And they were supposed to build, as part of that concession, uh, two new hotels, there was a riding school, there was sporting fields, uh, a lot of stuff for the public, a lot of touristy type of things because Macau doesn't just want, you know, 100% casinos. They, they, they're looking at a balance of something like 65% casinos and then other things. Uh, so, we, you know, we've got great sporting facilities, stadiums and everything here. And so that was the reason that the government has pulled their gambling concession license but we do believe that the club the MJC approached the government almost a year back and, and virtually said they were going to hand it back uh, so like I said it's been well documented and, uh, and written about um, that they've been operating a loss for many many years um, and it's finally come down to this um, there's been talks of back taxes not paid, etc., uh, etc., et and it's it's come down to this. But it's hard to believe when you look at how great it was. Uh, it's a very historical race club. We were the first place to race in Asia. Um, horse racing's been happening in the cow since the Portuguese lobbed here way back in the 1600s. Uh, so it's got a lot of history and. The Hong Kong Jockey Club, the Royal Hong Kong Jockey Club, it was called back then, they in fact had their first race meeting here for a couple of years because Happy Valley wasn't even built at the time. So again, we're losing a lot of history. Um, we've gone from a very, very profitable and successful enterprise to, to you know, gradually uh, dying a little bit each year. So that... Uh, 
That's the government's reason for taking it back is this concession agreement hasn't been honoured. Unlike Singapore, they're not taking it back for the land. Singapore's got 5.4 million people. Uh, the excuse from the Singapore government is they need the land, although I do believe that the old Bukatina um, area has still not been redeveloped after 20 years. But Macau is not the need for the land. We've still got land that's been reclaimed here. And the Macau government spokesman stated um, yesterday that this land is not going to be used for casinos. It's going to be used for totally different purposes. So it's not for a take-back of the land. It's um, <clears throat> simply an agreement that the MJC started uh, around about a year, sometime last year, uh, with the government. It's now been rubber-stamped. But it's been very, very... Um, difficult the way they've done it because there's been rumours for a long time all the participants within the club uh, have never been informed finally, like until yesterday finally, okay, boom, it's going to happen. There was no uh, one year warning, uh, except or 18 months like there was in Singapore. It's very sad, isn't it? So you were saying there it's slowly withered on the vine season after season. So when did the rot start to, to set in and what, what was that? Was that dwindling crowds, mismanagement, um, a, a combination of both? I mean, turnover? What's the funding model there, Harry? Well, look, we reached our peak in 2004. We turned over $9 billion, uh, back in 2004. That was $9 billion Hong Kong in turnover, I think, for a year. You know, we used to turn over $25 million Hong Kong dollars on an, on an average rate, a normal race day. On a big race day, we could turn over up to $50 million. Um, look, back about in 2004, the Hong Kong Jockey Club, um, Hong Kong Jockey Club and the Town Jockey Club, there's never been the greatest um, uh, friends. There's been an enormous rivalry there for years. And in 2004, Hong Kong Jockey Club uh, felt they were losing revenue. They felt that Macau was impacting them, and in, in fact, it was actually foot, uh, football betting that was causing the, the, the dropping turnover, which Hong Kong jockey felt uh, they now embrace football betting. But anyway, back in 2004, they lobbied the Hong Kong government. The Hong Kong jockey club is very powerful. Lobbied the Hong Kong government that if you lived and resided in uh, Hong Kong, even if you weren't a permanent resident, but if you were working in Hong Kong or living in Hong Kong, uh, it was illegal for you to bet on a sporting event outside of Hong Kong. Hence, the bulk of our owners in Macau were Hong Kong people. So unless they got themselves to the track in Macau, they couldn't bet because um, they even went as far the Hong Kong government as to uh, caution the banks in Hong Kong, you can't operate betting accounts for the Macau Jockey Club. So in doing that, that cut our turnover pretty much in half back in about 2004. Um, you know, nowadays the Hong Kong Jockey Club is looking for overseas venues to, to get revenue on. And uh, it, 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 was a, it was a very, very silly move because the last time that the Hong Kong Jockey Club took Macau Racing back in 2019, 
on the Seven Rates program, Hong Kong cut a debt 235 million back in 2019 on one race day only. So you can imagine what uh, kind of money could have been made had they joined together a bit in the commingling and betting over the years. So 2004 cut our turnover pretty much in half. The casino boom came in 2008, and yes, it did have some effect on it, but we were still going very well. Uh, look, when you've got... We just lost you a bit, Harry. Pardon? We just lost you a bit. Back now. Okay. Right. Okay. Where did uh, we cut off that, mate? No, just the last 30 seconds or so. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, when um, when Hong Kong uh, when Hong Kong government uh, brought that rule in, that cut our betting turnover uh, by about 50 percent. And like I said, um, later they the Hong Kong government wanted to take Macau. Uh, racing on our big day of the year. Last time that uh, that happened, in 2019, Hong Kong punters bet 235 million on the one race day. And uh, there was plenty of social media uh, comments that, you know, they wanted more Macau racing. But So we get back to the fact that turnovers cut in half. The casino boom came in 2008 with all the big new casinos uh, being built. So that did impact it a bit, but we were still going very strong then, 2008, 9 and 10. When you've got a business, any business at all, and it starts to slowly erode year by year, you, you can only look at one place. You can only look at the top. You can only look at the management and how it's been handled. Um, we used to have some mammoth owners. Um, there was... A lot of owners that owned minimum 20 horses. Stanley Ho was one, one, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he was. He owned quite a few here, but the Luanyat people used to have 30 in work. Uh, the Sun City people used to have 30 in work. We had a very big owner, uh, Mr Choi, that uh, it was reported that he had over 100 horses in work. Now, we slowly lost all of those people. It seemed year by year myself as a race caller, I would see those colours disappearing. They'd be turning up racing in Singapore. And um, so it just was eroded year by year, the last decade and a half. Uh, you can only look at one thing, and that is management at the top. Macau has only got a population of about 680,000 people. Uh, we're back to uh, pre-COVID uh, levels now. We get more than 100,000 visitors daily. That's over 3 million every month. Now those visitors coming to Macau would not even know the horse racing is on. It's never been promoted, pushed. Um, it's never been uh, embraced by all of the other casino companies because they don't, they're all rivals so they don't want to work together. And look, it still could be a very, very successful operation. It was interesting yesterday with all the reports I read, um, particularly ANZ Bloodstock News and David Chester, uh, saying that, it, you know, how good the place was and how good it could still be. Uh, I've got lots of comments from people in the industry that know and have been to Macau that 
just say, look, you know, it's just a golden opportunity that was just slowly, slowly let die. If you run any business, you, you, you've got to fund it. And, you know, this case has been terribly underfunded for a lot of years. All right, so it sounds like a pretty sad story. Unfortunately, time has beaten us, but I thought you explained that very well, Harry, to give our listeners an insight as to why this is happening. Well, mate, it still could be very, very good, and I wish that the government themselves, they, they want to diversify a bit away from straight all casino stuff. And we've got the Macau Grand Prix, we've got fabulous sporting events annually here, uh, Dragon Bay Races. I wish the Macau government... And, and so, so many of our owners are singing this very same song that if they copied the Hong Kong model, made it a charity, you know, people would come back in droves. They would support it very well because, you know, you've got a management... You, it, it's not like you, you, you've got an unpopular management. People would come back in droves just if, if it was made a charity. Um, you've got the Greater Bay Development Area right next door into China, the fast train links have just been um, completed. They've got a railway station that was built right in front of the jockey tunnel for this purpose. So you've got 67 million people that can um, get to Macau, easy travel in short time. Uh, and if it was made into a charity um, and, a, and a, a, good, uh, a good management team, a good promotional team, uh, it could be a very, very successful operation. It really could. And, and the charity, the money earned from charity would do wonders. I mean, look what Hong Kong Jockey Club has done with, uh, with their charity funds over the years. They're you know, one of the biggest um, contributors to, uh, to charity in Hong Kong. They've built hospitals and universities and, and whatnot. So, you know, again, there's plenty of people singing the same song as I am that it still could be completely turned around and made back into something very, very successful. Thanks, Harry. Thank you, mate. Good to talk to you. And, uh, yep, uh, how's the weather in Brisbane? Uh, overcast. <laughs> Chances yeah. some showers. But thanks, Harry. Harry Troy joining us this morning on Racing HQ.